Hi everyone. Today we're talking to Lisa Wilson. We talked about breaking the rules of photography, the relationship between the material and the image, between landscape and land art, as well as ideas of permanence and spirituality. Lisa lives in Brooklyn and has in New York. Her residencies include Cowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture and the McDowell Colony. She had several public art commissions at PS32 and 66 and Waterfront. Here she talks about the backgrounds of her practice. I have always been really interested in landscape photography and the images of the landscape. I grew up in Colorado. And our family spent a lot of time hiking and taking these trips and going into like really remote areas. And then when I went to college, I came to New York and I went to Syracuse. So I basically moved to the East Coast. But I was always kind of remembering these like incredibly gorgeous natural spaces that we explored. So I was like carrying around these photographs from these hikes and started working with them in my artwork, like even in undergrad. I was a painting major at Syracuse, but I was always really interested in like combining medias and materials and works that were sort of crossing over boundaries between two D and three D. And I took all sorts of classes at undergrad, like photography and and welding and、uh, printmaking. And so my work was always very mixed media. It was never really clearly defined as painting, but in that program, that was all. Fine. They weren't stringent on on separating things. So、um, when I so I moved to New York, you know, definitely learned a lot more about art by just seeing art and what I was interested in, and went to grad school at Hunter. And in, I feel like as a viewer, I'm always drawn to sculpture. Like to me, it has the most possibilities because it can be kind of anything in terms of material. Like it could be found wood or bronze or this, and like. It could be representative, abstract. You know, I, something about sculpture, and like I think as a viewer, to have a physical presence, you know, interaction with work. I've always really responded to like installation、um, and works that consider architecture. So I was sort of in grad school doing these works that were really like room installations, and I learned how to build walls and was interested in architecture. But at the same time, I was like carrying around these photographs and working with them and into them. And interested in how a photograph could be both an abstraction and a representation at the same time, and basically it culminated in my first like photo sculptures when I was in grad school. I was kind of like an outsider. I mean, even though I took photography classes, I had taken you know all sorts of classes, so I saw this divide between photography and other arts. That I thought was kind of stupid,、um, or didn't really make sense to me. Like at the time, when I was in grad school in like the early two thousands, even the gallery listings were separated between photo and regular. So I saw potential for photography to be like ruptured and breaking the rules of photography, but specifically, you know, really specifically, had honed into landscape and the landscape photograph and. How could a landscape photograph be like contemporary and not just sort of beautiful and sit there and? Or so, anyways, I kind of started. So I, I made my first photo sculptures where I was like literally taking a form from the photograph and kind of building an extrusion of that form into space, and that was a very strange thing. And it created works that were both a physical presence but still tied to this image. And it kind of began my path in investigating the potential for. 
for expanding photography. So you talked about how you are interested in images of landscapes. How do you utilize them in your work? Yeah. So it was interesting because I was using these photos I had like collected from maybe you know not necessarily my childhood, but places that were familiar to me growing up. And they are these iconic Western landscapes. And as I started making work and you know gathering images, I think at first I was kind of looking for these iconic images of the landscape. You know, if it's sort of like a big mountain with a sunset or something. And it changed, like that. I specifically remember I did this Gauhegan residency, which is in Maine, and you're in the forest for the whole summer. And because it, I was like slowed down and repeating these walks, it changed how I was shooting because I realized I could take a photo of two ferns on the ground, and then that may become something, not just this sort of image of like the mountain. So it made it so that when I went on these trips and to hike, like anything was possible for me to photograph, and it opened it up. So it was not about me searching for an image, but about just observing nature and being there and like gathering. Those were just kind of like source materials that would enter into my work. So you know, once I got out of grad school, those extrusion pieces I made in the beginning were from digital prints, and but they were very large and expensive and kind of time-consuming, and I really. Had to break my practice back down because I couldn't always afford to do those sculptures、um, if I didn't have a show or a reason, you know. So I kind of had to start over and build a practice for myself that was more, I think, akin to like a painter or sculpture practice, where every day I go and do something a little bit. I actually went back to the dark room because it was more affordable for me to spend fourteen dollars an hour and rent a color dark room and print a bunch of photos and then come back to the studio and then not be afraid of like ripping them or folding them because I could just make them again. So it kind of relieved this pressure or this extraneous level of like because I didn't have a color printer. So going to the dark room became part of my process and like every one or two weeks I would just go and print from the negatives I had and bring those back to the studio and then they were like free play material. That exploration was very specific to that type of paper, the C print. Like, what could it do? Could I fold it? Could I rip it? And then started mounting it on different materials. So, kind of through the course of my process, like the places I travel, these images I collect, create this kind of cycle. A work I'm working on, I might be using a photograph I'd taken one or two years ago, and then it finally comes through. So, it's this sort of like co-mingling. Um, I think of it like almost like gardening or building a meal when you're starting from scratch with the seeds. Planting the seeds is like going out and shooting, and then like cultivating it, being in the dark room, and then preparing the meal might be like pouring the concrete or something. So <laughs> there's all these stages involved, and actually the photograph is like part of it, but、um, not the only part. So, so I was thinking about how your work combines photography with sculpture. And the concreteness of the solid forms, how it really contrasts to the photograph, which is very fragile. Is this dichotomy between hard and soft something you're interested in? Yeah, I think also、um, it's sort of like light and heavy. So a really heavy photograph, you know, a photograph that weighs three thousand pounds or something, kind of to subterfuge this sort of traveling or lightness or even like literally sunlight bouncing off an object to create this image. And I think about like gravity and weight and mass and 
all these elements of nature and our world and that the work is always has this sort of balance. There might be one aspect that's sort of out of control and one aspect that's kind of really trying to tether it like these geometric shapes and moves like a straight line, trying to just hold on to some sort of chaotic image of like branches or something. And I'm interested in like, what's more real? Is it the image of nature or is it concrete that is human made, but kind of resembles rock and has these other qualities? The seed print is plastic, but it has, you know, so it's like these co-mingling and back and forth between like synthetic and natural and like that the materials of the ground created these I-beams that created these buildings that all these materials came from the earth and might go back to the earth. And that's kind of what I think about. <laughs> Can you talk about the kind of manipulations that you did, like spatial manipulation and also surface manipulation? Specifically, this one work titled Washington Coast Forest 2020, where you pull parts of a photograph off of itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that once the photograph is not an image and is an object, then how does it live in the world? How is it like held to the wall? You know, like how an artwork is like held to the wall or an image is held to the wall is like really interesting to me because there's all these ways you could attach it. Then there's the back of the image and like the one you mentioned with like a cut and a fold is like, you know, when you do this little cut and you fold the image back, you're able to see the front and the back and what's behind it all at the same time. So it's much more than just some sort of illusion of a flat. It's not like a screen that you enter into. It's kind of a surface that's then ruptured. And then what does that mean? And creates new shadows and becomes a thing that lives in the world. To me, opened it up like, a simple move, just folding a photograph and then how that changes it. And I, and I kind of like have to like see it to believe it. I have to like test it and try it. And, you know, a rip in one material is different than a rip in another. Or like once I start working with UV printing, then I could print onto steel. And what if I then weld that, like what happens? So it's so much of it is just like kind of like experimentation and accepting what you find in that way and then kind of keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. What I found very interesting is that, for example, by carving out a geometric shape out of a photograph, you're also introducing a negative space into the photograph and subtraction has turned into inclusion. To that end, like the material that the image is maybe printed on or the back of the image or whatever is like just as important. So it becomes an element in the work. You know, it maybe it's printed on steel or copper or something. And then that material is also just as important as this sort of image. Why do you think it's as important? I mean, I think visually it becomes an element. So for example, like these pieces I do where they're printed on steel and then they're outside and then they get rusted and they change. So I have this sculpture right now up in Massachusetts at De Cordova and there's like an image printed of a rock, like a photograph I took in Joshua Tree. And then there's the Corten steel that is like rusted out and kind of changed this beautiful. And I'm really interested in these two planes living right next to each other, one of which is sort of like an imaged rock and one of which is rust on steel that like continues to change like the coexistence and then they kind of reflect each other and they kind of then it's like they contrast each other but then there's these like kinships between them also you know a relationship is formed between the material and the image so how do you determine the shape of a sculpture 
And specifically, I want to talk about this one work where you have a photograph curving around and through a column. I mean, generally, I make a bunch of models if I have an idea if I'm going to make some. Like sometimes there's just like a shape I get obsessed with, and I kind of just repeat it. I do naturally have more of like a two D eye, so when it comes to making sculpture, I have to really make the thing to understand it. But I love how an angle or a slight, like a line or a fold, can completely change how something looks. It's one thing when it is just a blank form, but once the image comes into it, it's completely different. So sometimes I'll print out photographs and then start working with them. Sometimes I'll have a form and bring an image in. It kind of goes back and forth, and a lot of the works are made to respond to the site in some way or another. Like the piece you were talking about, the column with the curve that goes around it, it's sort of really responding to that column, thinking about the column as like a line of sculpture. You know, in that case, I really like this idea of the photograph that's like curving around itself and double-sided. So all these like variables kind of create the situation where I'm making decisions. So you've been making these kind of works for a while now, and the practice has been established. How has it evolved over the years from how you first started?、Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think that my process has changed to where now that I'm sort of doing different larger scale pieces, or I am working with like prints on steel and stuff. The process involves a lot of other people, like fabricators and different. You know, I get metal here and here and here, and so. It's less like maybe the works never even come to my studio, aside from like the initial idea. So I think scaling it up and having pieces that take years instead of weeks and not having complete control over it in my hands has also been a little frustrating because I miss that hands-on aspect. And that's why I enjoy, for example, like the concrete works because those are ones I'm always doing myself, and like I always kind of come back to that because it's just super like. Satisfying for me to do the experiment and pour it, and then see it, and do that all myself in in my studio. Talking of the large scale pieces, I noticed that you've also done several public commissions. Can you talk about the recent one at sixty six in Waterfront? So originally, I was supposed to have two sculptures in the show at Rockefeller Center that was for Freeze New York. And it was actually something I had developed for many months to come up with a proposal, and it, we were like halfway through production, and COVID happened. So COVID happened, and the show was canceled like completely. And、um, I just had these two sculptures like half done. Then this this opportunity for like a show to show the sculpture in this park in the city came up, and I was like, perfect, the sculpture is ready to be finished, and here's the venue, and you know. And it actually was so much better in a way because the show, in this case, it's this kind of amazing backdrop of the Hudson River on one side and like the Manhattan skyline on the other, and it's up for three months and it'll be outside, and so many more people will see it in this way. So, do you think that positioning the sculpture at sixty six and Waterfront, where it has this elements of nature involved? As opposed to at Rockefeller Center, where it's the heart of New York and skyscrapers everywhere. Change the reads of the work in any way? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And actually, where it is now is so cool because one view of it, this kind of frontal view where there's the river behind you, 
But if you walk around the sculpture, then the view is of the city behind you and the West Side Highway and all this stuff. And I kind of love that view too, personally. <laughs> As you walk around it, like there's two different photographs and different images and then hopefully like the shadows and the sunshine and like the weather and and as it rusts out it will sort of change so and also the scale because it is like about eight feet tall but once it's out there in the land it kind of feels so much smaller you know like you realize how large everything is so that's one thing about working with scale is like it changes things so much when you're kind of out in this giant space and something that feels huge when you're thinking about it or trying to make it is actually really nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think that reminds me of the land art movement around the 1960s. Do you think there's a connection between your work and this movement? I mean, I definitely think that my inspiration and basic core comes from this place, a Western United States kind of area that did inspire those artists to make work in those sites. So my reverence for those spaces and interest in those spaces is something that I think I share with them. And the first time I went to see, for example, Double Negative, it's sort of like when you read about the piece, there's not that many images, or at least this was like maybe 10 or 15 years ago before it was a little maybe easier to find, but it had this kind of mythical quality of this land art piece. But when you go there and see the actual site, it's just so little compared to this huge, amazing vista and this insane mesa that you're on top of. And I really still think that was Michael Heiser's way of just like getting you to the spot. So the his action of like slotting into the ground and as significant as that is for art history, I think there's something else to that experience as a viewer what I am interested in is like layering those experiences. There's that experience of being on that mountainside and how does that layer with your experience of like being in a gallery or looking at an image on your computer and like, can those ideas translate? And I still don't think you can substitute the experience of going to the actual site. But my work is trying to like translate those experiences through my body and through my process. Is it also like Hamish Fulton's work where he would go on walks or hikes and then bring back images. Yeah, I mean, I think that the process or experience of sort of like, let's say simple or mundane actions of life that can take on significance if you look at them closely or something, that sort of way of like inspecting our world more closely and it showing itself through that attention. I've visited Nancy Holt like sun tunnels a few times and it's those sites now become these kind of meccas or these places that people go visit but they also fall apart a little bit or get a little you know what I mean like weather is not forgiving like the art isn't really meant to live out there you know like Michael Heiser's piece is kind of ultimately going to cave in on itself it doesn't stay forever and I think it's interesting our idea of permanence and that this should last forever and that's our goal but that's to me that's crazy so <laughs> Yeah, and I think that this concept of permanence is somehow related to spirituality. And some artists would associate nature as being very spiritual. Do you see that aspect as well? Yeah, I think it's like my own relationship with nature. I think it feels so personal, you know what I mean? Like these moments you have and that remind you of humanity or life or why are you here <laughs> or you know these kind of moments of epiphany that can happen I think it has something to do with like being devoid of 
human presence or buildings or evidence of that, it feels like when you're in a place like that, it could be 10,000 years ago. And then you're like thinking of the earth and how things have moved around and shifted in tectonic plates. Cause it's sort of like your brain can't really handle that information. So it is coming from like a different part than your brain. I just am thinking about this split between mind and body and spirit and can these places or experiences serve as a way to bring it all together or I'm interested in all that, but I think it's also not specifically citing any kind of a spiritual practice. But I, but again, this sort of goes back to what I was saying about the connection between humanity and the landscape. There's this collective relationship, but then there's a personal individual relationship, you know? And I mm -hmm. think my work is hopefully touching a little bit on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you think that our modern life and urban life play the role in our experience of nature and vice versa? Part of my interest in those images of these faraway places is this divide. Like you're living your life in Brooklyn every day. It's almost impossible to imagine that sunset in Nevada, even though it's happening at the same moment. You know, it feels not just far away physically, but it feels far away like emotionally and it feels far away in like time. But I think still like when you're in the streets of New York, those concrete the cracks in the sidewalk you walk by every day or this, the construction site or the weird plastic bags and stuff like that's your landscape. That's the things you see every day. And you can either pay attention to it or not, you know, but it's those kind of moments. And even in like these faraway places, you could go to a national park and there might be like one spot where everyone goes, but there's all these other spots that no one notices. So you have to like pay attention for it to exist. This is the end of the episode. If you want to see more of Letha's work, please visit lethaprojects.com.